This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnieman, and welcome to The Loop. So this week, reporter Wallace Snowden is joining me on the show. Hello, Wallace. Hello. It's been a busy week in the news, I think it's fair to say. It's been a little relentless. <laughs> I will I will use that word. Relentless yeah. is a great word. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing COVID numbers reaching new heights. Um, lots of big stories coming out of the ledge and basically everywhere else in the city. Um, I want to check in. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Uh, as you say, work, work has been busy. It's been pretty steady in terms of the the headlines coming out of the newsroom every day. Um, and then on the home front, I've been doing lots of planning for the summer yeah, uh, and spring yeah. camping season. So I think like pretty much every other Albertan, I have been trolling for for campsites. <laughs> and, and it keeps <laughs> you busy. A good fight, trying to find uh, things that I can do this summer that are uh, close to home. And uh, the struggle is real, but I have managed to land a few spots so I'm looking forward to that. That's great. It, it's true. We're all looking for things to either plan ahead to or fill the time, keep ourselves busy. Um, I know you're a runner. I'm trying to teach myself how to run. Oh, man. The struggle. <laughs> the struggle. I, I don't even really want to call myself a runner. I'm not sure what I do quite qualifies, but I, I have been running since the pandemic hit in the spring because I, like many people, I think, started getting like the bread um, so that's really my main goal when running. I'm not trying to run a half marathon or anything. I'm just trying to run, outrun my bread diet. Well, when we had you on the loop a while ago, you did talk about the bread and that your husband was baking bread. Are you guys back on the bread train? He killed his little, what's the thing in the mason jar? The, the sourdough starter. The, the starter <laughs> yeah. died a while ago. So we were off the bread train for a bit, but uh, I think I think he has plans to get back on it. Well, bread is such um, good comfort food, um, it's true. which is a nice contrast to what we're actually talking about today. That is what it sounded like outside Grace Life Church this weekend, and then also outside of the legislature on Monday of this week. Um, we're seeing resistance, loud, active defiance, really, to Alberta's COVID-19 health restrictions. Wallace, you dug into this on a, a great piece on our website. How did that footage that we heard there, how did that strike you of all the protests and the gatherings that we've seen though so far? Oh, thanks, Claire. Uh, I, I mean, it was it was striking to to see that footage coming back to the newsroom, I mean, as we heard, people were praying and, and chanting and a lot of emotion coming out from the folks that we saw gathered. But especially for Grace Life on Sunday, when we saw that protest of about 500 people outside the church property that was fenced up last week, it didn't exactly surprise me. Grace Life, especially that church has become for better or for worse, a symbol, I guess, for this growing divide that we're seeing between the folks following the rules and patiently waiting for this pandemic to be over and those that are fed up and refusing to follow the pandemic public health restrictions. 
when we talk about the event at Grace Life uh, this past weekend, they've released statements about the church's involvement. What have they said? Well, we did receive a, a statement through their lawyers essentially saying that none of the church leadership or congregates uh, were present at that rally on Sunday. From what we know, I they do post all of their sermons online. Um, and from what I've seen, they were actually elsewhere at an undisclosed location holding a service that Sunday. So it's fair to say that at least some of the church membership were certainly elsewhere at the time. And it's interesting that the church continues to float the rules in such a way in that sermon. Uh, church leadership can be heard describing the service as an underground church. Um, and this is a church, of course, that has been at the center of enforcement action for months and months and months. Uh, even their pastor, James Coates, uh, was behind bars for about 28 days because of this continued enforcement action. A closure order was issued on the church in January, but they refused to close. They've had jam-packed services there every Sunday, like clockwork. And finally, last week, Alberta Health Services uh, with RCMP at their side showed up and actually built this fence around the church to keep congregates and church leaders out. Uh, and RCMP have been there fairly regularly keeping uh, watch over that property. And that was considered sort of a last ditch effort, a last resort in terms of enforcement uh, against this property. Health officials have said they've basically tried to approach this as enforcement as last resort kind of situation. But uh, uh, the church has continued to break the rules and, and hold these very large services which health officials say are at risk of creating a super spreader event. Um, there were a few cases linked to the church uh, earlier this summer. There's not been an outbreak, but as is with any large gathering, there is a risk there. There is a sense here that it doesn't feel new, right? Across Canada, we've seen people defying COVID safety protocols since basically March of 2020 when it all started. But what's changing now? There has been pockets of resistance across the country since the beginning. Alberta has had problems since last spring. We've had businesses coming out and saying they weren't going to be closing their doors. They weren't going to be enforcing masking. We've seen rallies, but this time feels different. Uh, last week when Premier Jason Kenney announced that Alberta was going to be moving back to those step one or phase one restrictions and that they would be clamping down again in a bid to kind of control this third wave of infection that we're seeing. Right away, we heard from Albertans, from businesses, from folks that said, you know what, we're fed up, we're not going to do this a third time. And these acts of defiance are more than just comments on, you know, Facebook, on message boards. We're seeing things out in the streets now, which feel a bit more hostile. Uh, for instance, Alberta Health Services workers happen to be up at the Lucrete Hospital last week to put in a new record system uh, there, um, had their vehicles pelted with eggs. Alberta Health Services workers here in Edmonton, uh, the building here uh, was actually vandalized. There was graffiti AHS Nazis right by the entryway doors. And of course, again, we saw that rally at Grace Life on Sunday where hundreds of people gathered to protest what they describe as a lockdown. So, it, it does feel different, and, and I think there's uh, more anger this time and more frustration. Part of it, I think, is just the sheer length 
of the pandemic. I mean, we're 13 months in now mm-hmm. and and the frustration is just really high. And especially after the events that happened this week, Premier Kenny has made some statements. What has he said about these protests and the acts and, and the people that are involved? Well, he came out with a statement shortly after the rally at the legislature. Uh, the folks, the people that were gathered there were captured chanting uh, and the lockdown and chanting that Dr. Gina Hinshaw should be locked up, lock her up, lock her up. And so after that happened, Kenny did issue a statement kind of unpacking what had happened at Grace Life on Sunday and had said, uh, basically he said, these people that are participating in protests like this are what he described as unhinged conspiracy theorists and spoke out against these these actions that we're seeing. And this is something that he's had to grapple with, not only in in the protests, but within his own caucus. We had uh, about 17 MLAs issue a public letter just last week speaking out against this clampdown on restrictions. So now we even have opposition within his own ranks, within the own ranks of the UCP caucus. So it it comes in an interesting time for Kenny where he's had to not only navigate this in, in protests and, and very uh, sometimes ugly conversations that are happening online, but also within within his own government. What has AHS said about the growing anger, especially considering, you know, things like the vandalism and the incident in La Crete that were directed at them? Well, it's been interesting to hear Alberta Health Services weigh in on this. I don't think it's surprising, but of course, they've condemned these actions against their frontline workers. But they were pretty candid this week in the statement that they issued to me about the fact that their frontline workers or enforcement officers um, are dealing with increased backlash and harassment on the front lines. And they say not only has this put pressure on their resources, um, I always think about it, the fact that, you know, the folks that used to be uh, the people that used to be responsible for making sure restaurants were nice and clean and tidy are now charged with this enormous task of enforcing uh, pandemic restrictions across the province. So uh, AHS is saying this has put increased pressure on their resources, but also that this level of harassment is is increasing. Um, and we're hearing much of the same from RCMP, the National Police Federation, that's sort of the biggest RCMP union that we have in Canada, came out with a statement this week in response to what happened at Grace Life, saying their members are facing unfair backlash. Their members are taking the brunt of this anger from the public. And in that statement, they reminded the public, of course, that their officers enforce the law, but they don't create the law. And so it was interesting to see that statement. It's not from Alberta RCMP, but this national union. But they said if people are frustrated, they should be pointing their frustration at the policymakers and Alberta health authorities. So it is this sort of back and forth between these two sides of enforcement, RCMP and police and Alberta Health Services inspectors and what they can do. And it's not um, a one size fits all approach. They can't enforce everything. So, for instance, RCMP officers can enforce masking and AHS officers can enforce uh, maybe a restaurant dining room that's staying open, but they can't necessarily overstep those lines. So it has been interesting to see them try to juggle big enforcement issues, for instance, at Grace Life, a church that has flouted the rules for over six months. 
you also reached out to a law professor to talk about the um, the new level of rule breaking that we're seeing. What did they say about why we've gotten to this point in the pandemic? Well, it was interesting to speak with uh, Lauren Hardcastle out of the University of Calgary. She's an associate law professor, but she specializes in, in health. In talking to her, it was an important conversation, I think, because it's easy to look at these protests from the outside in and, and generalize about who's there and who is also just breaking the rules in general across the province. And of course, people are breaking the rules for different reasons. Lorraine was saying that there's sort of three different camps, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of people that are coming at this from a point of desperation, business owners. And so they're coming at this from an economic perspective. And then there's two other groups, a lot of Albertans in, in that are opposing these restrictions feel that their rights and freedoms have been infringed upon by what they describe as this lockdown. And then there's also people that fail to see themselves at risk from the virus. And a lot of this has been fueled by what another expert I spoke to, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, um, she says this is being fueled by sort of what she called a toxic stew of misinformation online conspiracy theories. And so that's really difficult. We have also this sort of political revolt that's happening in the legislature around Kenny. Experts say that can also undermine the response. So we have a lot of different factors at play, and that can be really hard to unpack when you're trying to figure out, well, how do we fix this? How do we get people to follow the letter of the law? Uh, And Dr. Lenora Saxinger said that at this point, uh, it may not be the best option, but targeted enforcement may be kind of the only option to ensure that folks are following the rules, even if they don't believe in them. While so much of the noise against restrictions is coming from individuals gathering and showing their discontent, the other side of it is Alberta's businesses, who've spent the last year ping-ponging between closed and open and sort of closed and then not, without any real end in sight. Uh, To say disappointment would be a bit of an understatement. Um, It it was a really big hit to to be somewhat singled out and uh, kind of feel like we are the root cause of the problems without a whole lot of facts backing it. A handful are doing it for the greater good. That handful should not be asked to lose their homes, to lose their businesses, to lose their life savings. That's the sound of just a couple of businesses that are pushing back against the latest round of restrictions. And as it stands, there's no more indoor dining at restaurants and bars, and Alberta's gyms are limited to one-on-one training. And as you could hear, some people are pretty fed up. Associate producer and director of Radioactive, Julia Lipscomb, joins me now. Hey, Julia. Hey, Claire. I want to talk about the term lockdown to start. Sure. As of yet, is a lockdown what we've experienced? What has Alberta actually been experiencing over the pandemic? So I don't think that it's fair to say that we individuals have been in a lockdown, especially when you compare us to other jurisdictions in the world where you know, they can't leave their house further than three kilometers or they can only leave to get groceries. Like we've heard about this in Europe. And um, certainly there's been stricter restrictions in Quebec and Ontario. Yeah. However, that's, you know, you and I who are coming to work, who are getting our groceries, who are doing this. Maybe if you're a small business owner and you've had to close your gym or restaurant for months of the year, 
then it would feel more like a lockdown because your whole identity, um, your income, your dreams, your family's survival is kind of wrapped up in that. Yeah, that term is it's a really heavy term. Yes, it is. Um, and it's very controversial. And you talk to a few businesses who not only have experienced the turbulence, let's call it, of the last 13 months, but also who are in kind of a unique position with where they are in Alberta, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I made it a mission to find small businesses who were in the constituencies of some of the 18 mostly rural MLAs who openly opposed the latest round of restrictions. And I think when we're here sitting in Edmonton, um, you know, we're in our own bubble and maybe we're yeah. not hearing these voices as often. And maybe we have a tendency to think of people that don't want to have restrictions as more extreme or anti-maskers. And I think what I found by talking to these small business owners is that there's a difference between disagreeing with science and disagreeing with the government or, or losing faith in the government's plan. And yeah, these folks are in a different situation than we are in major centers, perhaps, and they just feel differently about things. So what did they tell you about how they felt? I mean, we're staring down this kind of third wave of newer restrictions coming in. What's going through their heads? Um, So two words came up over and over. Almost everyone said they were exhausted and they're frustrated. (laughs) Um, Obviously, we can all relate to that. That feels so familiar. Yes. (laughs) and they all felt like they were unfairly targeted. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't think that that would be much different if you spoke to restaurateurs in Edmonton. I feel like I hear the same thing from people in, in the industry here all the time. They feel like for some reason they've become the focal point and that why should they have to close their businesses when so many other things remain open and I mean, we always hear the scientific justification for that. And and we have seen when the government shuts down dining and gyms that, um, you know, fewer cases have followed. But whether that's because of the gyms and restaurants, like we don't know that. And I think there hasn't been enough data presented to these folks that own these small businesses to convince them that they should be the ones paying the price, so to speak. And I think that that idea of exhaustion and frustration is universal for all businesses. But there is this group of businesses now that are they're just not following these latest round of restrictions as they've come down. What did they tell you about that idea of defying these new restrictions where we're at in the pandemic right now? Mm -hmm. So most of the people I just want to say I talked to were definitely following the restrictions. Right. Um, I talked to one woman, Danica Chevalier, and she is a spin studio owner in Cold Lake. And she told me that it just doesn't make sense to her that she would have to close her business. Um, She's continuing to follow all the guidelines from the previous round of restrictions. Right. So low intensity, 30-minute classes, three meters spaced apart. Um, And she feels that that is appropriate given the level of transmission in her community. And if you were her, I mean, she's had no cases in her gym and she's on the brink of having to cl- like sh- shut her business. She's worried about losing her livelihood. Um, it's a calculation that she's making. That's how that's what I took from our conversation was that, you know, she doesn't want to be breaking the rules, but she just cannot afford to close her business. I don't think that we should be taking the fall for the entire society and common good of everyone because why are liquor stores still open? Why are shopping still open? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, so that's where I think we just need to re, like, 
you know, when you're too far into a situation, like a bad relationship or something, and then like everyone else can see it, but you, I feel like we're just like so far in it now that like, we can't see clearly, like we can't see past the fog of like, what is the most appropriate way to go about this to navigate to really like serve the greater good. And she's a nurse, too. And she believes the pandemic is real. She believes it's very real. She she doesn't want to be lumped in with the anti-maskers. You know, she just is making this calculated decision. And and I believe that many businesses in her situation, the impression that I got was that if they felt they had significant support, financial support, um, then they wouldn't open their business. I got to ask, though, like, how can a business have it both ways where you believe in COVID and the pandemic and the fact that this is all very much real, but you're also not following these guidelines that are coming down from the chief medical officer of health, this body that's supposed to be telling us how to best navigate this time? I think just like we all do in our everyday lives, um, it's a risk management. So they're taking the amount of risk that they find appropriate The problem in a pandemic is that we can't all be making those decisions for ourselves. Um, So I actually asked Dr. Lenora Saxinger, an infectious disease specialist, what she thought about these calculated risks. And and she said that she doesn't necessarily disagree with a regional approach, which is what a lot of these businesses are calling for, but that now is not the time for it. And that there's so much spread right now that, you know, a place like Cold Lake, where Danica is located... She might not have any COVID in her studio now, but tomorrow she could. And then, you know, it could kick off a, a, a lot of infections in the community. And that's that's how COVID works, as we've learned. And when it comes to the idea of government support, which you've touched on, what are they saying about what they've been offered? Is that enough to convince a business to close their doors and risk everything they've got? So the short answer is no. Um I don't want to get into the weeds of the many complicated <laughs> layers of government supports that have been available throughout the past 13 months. Because there's been a bunch. There's been a lot, for yeah. sure. Um, but I think if you apply some very basic common sense, even the announcement that Premier Kenny made about um, grants that you don't have to pay back, which is great, available to small businesses – there's an extra 10000 available to small businesses for a total of 30000 that any business could be eligible for. Right. And these are businesses that could have up to 500 employees. So it's hard to imagine that $30,000 could stem the tide for a business with hundreds of employees. And again, I don't want to get into the weeds too yeah. much, but you can just see how that might not be enough. And And a lot of businesses also won't qualify. Like there's quite strict requirements. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why you may or, not, may, or, may or may not qualify and why it may or may not be enough to save your business. I have a confession to make. I'm a 20-something who lives alone in a very small apartment, but I love a good bulk shopping trip. Like a Costco run where you can buy 20 chocolate bars at once is enchanting. And Emily Sanger, you're an associate producer here at CBC Edmonton. And I understand you have some feelings of your own about Costco and that bulk shopping life. Well, I have a husband and two kids. So we shop at Costco fairly frequently. I don't love shopping at Costco. Um, (laughs) I find it really busy and it takes so much time. 
but my husband loves Costco. I mean, I feel like when you're a parent, Costco represents a very different thing than for me and my chocolate bars. Um. It's true. <laughs> when my kids were in diapers, it had good prices on diapers. Uh, there was news this week of a new Costco business center opening up in Edmonton. It's the city's first. How did you find out about this? Well, I found out about it since I am a Costco member. We get flyers in the mail. And I got this this flyer for the business center and I opened it up and I like to see what the Costco deals are. And I had a good laugh about it because it's a place where you can buy like a pallet of pickles, um, <laughs> you know, a thousand dollars worth of pickles or you can buy a whole wheel of Parmesan cheese or you could buy what was the other one? Oh, you can buy a whole drum of olive oil, like oh an oil drum, but it has olive oil in it um, for, I don't know, twelve hundred dollars or something. So I, I got this in my mailbox and I was intrigued. And I I mean, obviously, it's a store that's owned at businesses like or like uh, it's aimed at convenience stores or people that would own restaurants, that kind of right. thing. But I thought it was pretty funny that as an individual shopper, I could also shop there if I wanted to. If you're like the bulkiest bulk buyer ever you can go to the True. Costco Business Center. And I understand that when you started digging into the story, you actually found kind of a whole community online. I did. So there's this Facebook group called Yeg Costco Lovers, and it has 30,000 members. What? Um, so it's people, I joined the group and it's people um, posting about things they buy at Costco, sometimes looking for items at one Costco that the other Costco doesn't have. It's reviews of lots of products. So people will say, hey, is this any good? And then it just people talking about Costco and what they love <laughs> buying there and why they love shopping there. So I, I guess I, I looked in the group and it, there was a lot of conversation about this new business center that opened on April 6th. So it was definitely the hot topic of conversation last week. Were you surprised to find this like massive Costco fan club group in Edmonton and, and how big it is? No, I wasn't really surprised. I guess yeah. maybe the, just the the amount of the membership. And when I talked to the admin of the group about how it got started, that was that was the surprising part for me. How, how did it get started? It's um, the admin is Lisa Nelson. And she actually um, was a WestJet flight attendant, and she's been out of work since the pandemic began. And she told me that she basically came back from Paris, her last flight, and got laid off, and she was getting really bored. And this summer, she started this YAG Costco Lovers Facebook group because she knew that other cities had something similar where people would share deals and things that they bought at Costco. And we didn't have one here. And she says she started it in August for just her friends and family. And it's grown to 30,000 people since the summer. So just crazy. And she didn't intend for it to be that big. It just happened. How is the group reacting to this kind of new bulk buying opportunity that is the business center? Is this something that regular people are still going to go check out? I think lots of people are going just to kind of see what's there and they're, they're curious, but there are deals to be had there. And Lisa actually went into the the new business center and said that in lots of cases, there's um, the massive quantity. So maybe like a pallet of something or an oil drum of oil, but there's also a smaller quantity that um, individual consumers might buy. Um, and the big thing in the Facebook group is people seem to be going crazy for the um, croissants. You can buy the, <laughs> the Costco croissants frozen and then you bake them um, for yourself at home. Ooh. So people have been buying that. And I think it's something like 225 croissants. So it's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot of croissants. But if you had a deep freeze, um, I guess you could put them in your deep freeze and just bake them as needed. 
Oh, my gosh. I mean, so I, I've got it here. I pulled up the website. I want to run through a few of these kind of massive bulk items. And let me know if these are on your list or maybe if you want to go like halvesies on these. Um, one that caught my eye was 18 kilograms of tahini. Oh, we do like tahini in our family, but um, I think I think eighteen kilograms—that <laughs> is, that is probably a little much. So much hummus to be made. Um, I mean, summer's right around the corner. Would you like eighteen kilograms of barbecue sauce? Uh, pass on that. I think. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking critically about some of these. You know, like there's eighteen liters of pickles. That's not going to go bad on you. So. You know, not the worst idea. I also really love mayo. So as someone who puts mayonnaise on everything, I was kind of tempted by 16 liters of mayo. Will you go have these on mayo with me? I also like mayo. See? Uh, so maybe. <laughs> sure. Um, but I think mayo does have to be stored in the fridge. Right. So I would have to really clear out. Well, is that like an ice cream bucket size of mayo? It or? is massive. Like I think I could double it as a bathtub after um, which is part of the allure. Was there anything on the on the bulk side of things that kind of actually tempted you? Maybe. No, I don't think that I. I don't think that I'll make a special trip to the West End, especially during COVID. I'm trying to limit my shopping trips, so yeah. I don't think I'll be going. But the one thing that Lisa said actually that might be good there is they have a lot of um, commercial kitchen um, where like big walks stock pots, um, cookie sheets, that kind of thing. And she said they're really affordable prices and you don't have to buy 20 of them. You could just buy one. That would be good. So next time I need to replace my cookie sheets, maybe I'll I'll go check there. Yeah. And if you want to pick me up some mayo too, that would be great, Emily. Well, while I'm there, uh, next time I go, I'll let you know, <laughs> which might be never. And just send me your list. Sounds good. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. There's always so much more to know. So you can get into the loop with us every Friday or go to cbc.ca slash Edmonton to find out more work from the CBC Edmonton newsroom. If you have any feedback, you can leave us a rating or a review. And we do have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. You can use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media or subscribe and download the show on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.